Welcome to The Emergent Human, where we explore optimizing health, embodied spirituality, and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Psychotherapy Today. It's somaticpsychotherapytoday.com. Today's guest is a returning guest, Victoria Rose. Victoria is a pre- and perinatal psychology and health educator, birth visionary, and traditional birth witness registered massage therapist, Reiki master for fertility, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, ceremonialist, contemporary vegalista, and ayahuasca preparation and integration guide. Good to see you, Victoria. Welcome back. Michael, it's good to be back. So on our first conversation, I asked you about your path, multiple different paths, your experiences, some of your trainings, what led you to the work you do, and then how you kind of think about the work you do and talk through some examples. I think what I'd like us to do now is to kind of broaden out and more look at the kind of sociocultural institutional level things, systemic level things, and using your vast experiences and trainings and work, like what might you say, looking at the present day, we may call medicalization of birth and all the industries that organize around that. What are the problems with that in terms of human health optimization and human connection and then what are the new models and maps, um, new institutions that are emerging, new training programs, all, all the kind of cool things that you are involved in that could be other possibilities for people, other options for people who recognize the limitations of the medical model and industrial model and want something more organic, really more human, more ancient, as well as integrating ancient wisdom and modern science. Is that cool? That sounds great. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Okay. Um, so at first I thought it, it might be useful to talk about how we do birth, medically mm -hmm. speaking. And, you know, I, I want to reiterate, and I'll do this a few times, I think I might have mentioned it last interview, you know, there are some times that's medically necessary for women to have various procedures, go to the hospital, get medications, all those kind of things. So we're not saying, I don't think that's not a possibility for some or necessary necessary for some. I think what we're trying to say in this conversation is that for the vast majority of females in this case, that is not necessary. But so let's like look at like, oh, the medicalization of birth. What are some of the concerns you have? What do you see? What are the consequences of what you see? And then we'll talk about other approaches. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for opening up this conversation. Yeah. Um, it's a really important conversation. I think that as a culture, we <clears throat> forgotten what is birth and I've said this before if we did remember what is birth then I think pregnant women would have nubs of people at her door during her pregnancy ways to support her and love her and encourage her and boost her up to prepare her and encourage her for the journey that awaits her and her baby, that is labor and birth it's really, really fascinating, isn't it? That you can be, you can cross paths with a woman who has an entire human being growing and you don't, and we don't acknowledge it. Yeah. You and I might, and many people do, but this is just to shed light on the, the way in which, you know, pregnancy has become just another thing that's not even treated like a big deal anymore. Um, it's become very medicalized and even pathologized, actually. 
And I think it's a very natural human experience, but it's a non-ordinary experience. Yeah. Women and families aren't educated on the reality that birth, labor and birth, and we could actually say that conception and pregnancy happen in a non-ordinary state of consciousness. So women in, in, in conventional prenatal care, which I would say would be more accurately referred to often as prenatal harm, because it's not preparation or the care that women and family need and innately deserve. Um, and oftentimes is a complete and total distraction from the deeper uh, levels of support that women and families need to prepare for that journey, prepare for the transformative journey of going from an ordinary human to a parent. Um, what, what were, so um, prenatal care, or in this case, you don't like to call it care because it's harm, we'll call it prenatal harm. Can you give me some examples of like what you see as being done conventionally that you would be concerned about? Yeah, I think I would be concerned. I am genuinely concerned about the conventional modern models of prenatal care, which are really focused on checking things like, um, for example, a a normal prenatal visit. Um, If we look at the medical model of care, and the midwifery model. The one thing that's different is that if you're in the in the obstetrical medical model of care, a woman will have probably a maximum, and this would be considered a long appointment, 15 minutes with her care provider. Mm-hmm. And time they're going to measure her, weigh her, possibly analyze her urine, and schedule her for a next checkup. Um, so it's really the, the conventional model of care is really, are you too big or too small? Is your baby too big or t- too small? And they're assessing for risks from the very, very beginning of the pregnancy. Um, the, the general practitioner is not, doesn't even have a remote opportunity to get to know this woman, to get to know what she's been through, what her experience has been, what her health history is, what her emotional history is, and what energy and information she's holding in her body on a cellular level. Um, This care practitioner doesn't know what's going on in her life at that time. These are all really important things. A midwife uh, might, you know, as the pregnancy progresses, do a one hour visit, this is better, but still, this is not really even, again, remotely enough time to, to develop a relationship with somebody, to really get to, who is this person? What have they been through? What is going to come up when their body literally opens and their mind and their spirit opens in order to give birth? So it's being looked at through this lens that is um, strictly physiological. And even if birth was strictly physiological, all of the obstetrical um, routine procedures actually oppose the physiological conditions that are needed for birth to unfold safely. Can you say more about that? Give some examples of how, how they contradict that process. 
Sure. Um, but what I would say before going into that is that the, the conventional prenatal model of care essentially has the woman looking outside of herself for answers about what is going on or not going on with her body. It has her investing her time, maybe money, and definitely energy in obtaining a sense of safety from someone outside of her. And that's true in the relationship with a doctor or a midwife. Um, and, so, you know, there's, there's pros to that, but I think that the cons far outweigh the pros. Um, because at the end of the day, this is, you know, the woman, I believe, that birthing mother is the only expert in birth because every single different, every single birth is different. Every single human that's coming in, that's getting born is a unique, every journey is going to be completely different. So it's the moment that, that a woman has to fit inside of any box that is average, you know, very um small containers of statistics you know it's very challenging in order to really fit through the medical model of care you have to fit through a space this big and all of birth happens out here mm. so so what does all this mean and and what are the physiological conditions that are needed for birth Actually, all mammals need the same thing to give birth. They need dark, quiet, unobserved. If you see a cat giving birth and there's a lot of people around, their labor will stop, pause. They'll go to another, find a closet or a cupboard or somewhere quiet, undisturbed, unobserved uh, space to give birth. And then labor resumes. Mm. In modern obstetrical model. Um, you know, I guess another aspect to this, you know, is when we start to talk about, well, what are some, what are some better ways of giving birth? We can't really have that conversation without illuminating the reality that as women and men, we have to come back into right relationship with our bodies and be, make fully informed decisions that I can connect to my body and my needs and be aware of my body and my needs in order to make an empowered decision that is an un coming from a place of unwavering trust. Mm. And if we're relying on someone or something or some system outside, then that's not possible. And if the channel of communication between the mother and the baby is not happening, then it's mm. not, you know, we're living in a time where people are going to get things like ultrasounds that we haven't even come close to looking at or understanding the dangers of. And mm. we're looking, you know, it's like for a lot of people, not until they see this picture that they feel as though they're pregnant, that they believe that this is real. This just actually illuminates the degree to which the connection has been lost mm -hmm. with the baby, with the consciousness of pregnancy. So we all need the same thing to give birth. 
whether we are a cat or we are human um, or a lion. Um, and actually the, the luckily her, her information and website and things are on the resources page of my website. She um, talks about the hormonal blueprint of labor and birth. And the hormonal blueprint of labor and birth are, I would think, um, identical to the hormonal blueprint of lovemaking. Hmm. So, you know, this makes it actually, this really puts things into context. You should give birth where you would be comfortable making love. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and really also as a woman to really consider in what environment does she feel and relaxed and open and receptive and expressive if you were in a deep state of lovemaking and exchange of intimacy and you had strangers walking in the room, this would, you know, your physiology would literally shift. The would completely change. And this is absolutely true when women are laboring. They've pathologized this phenomenon by calling, you know, saying to women that they uh, have failure to progress. Well, let's say if a woman is laboring and she's, you know, moving along and then turns on the lights. You know, we've actually, we tend to think intervention is the administration of drugs. And, yeah. But I would say that actually medical intervention can be as simple as turning on the lights, can be as simple as talking in the room when a birthing goddess is hard at work with her baby. These kinds of things stimulate the prefrontal cortex and they take you out of your creative birthing body. You don't need to calculate to make love and you don't need to calculate information to give birth. The brain isn't needed to give birth. The brain waves slow down um, as labor progresses. And I would actually say as pregnancy progresses, you know, there's mm -hmm. these women will say, oh, I get more forgetful and all these phenomena, but it's, it's not a, it's not a flaw of nature. It's the intelligence. The brain waves begin to slow down and it's no longer necessary to um, compute and, and organize information the way, you know, you need to when you're functioning in the world and at your desk working. And yeah. so you're going into entirely different state of consciousness and so there is no safety this is the bottom line <laughs> in the medical model of care in the medical model of care um, and i know this from talking to many different obstetricians anesthesiologists registered nurses the the way that care providers are trained within the medical model when it comes to birth is to prevent two potential deaths. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's, it's for us to understand this, and especially if you're planning to birth in the hospital, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Personally, mm -hmm. never considered this for myself, um, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think. You can really 
create a soft environment anywhere. Um, it's much harder in the hospital. And I think, especially nowadays, you need to really be a Jedi to navigate that realm. Like you really need to understand where these policies come from, the difference between policies and law, what you're signing for and you know where they're coming from. So if you understand that these medical professionals are actually trained to prevent two deaths as opposed to welcome two lives and birth of an entire family, then you can begin to understand the mode in which they're operating. They are wired and indoctrinated to assess for risks in every single moment. And that very assessment for risks, which comes in the form of regular frequency of the blood pressure of the heart rate of the mother and the baby and different monitors, beeping sounds going on in the room and many other things. Um, the, the, those things in and of themselves actually oppose the physiological conditions that are needed to keep birth safe. So there is no safety and birth and death are inseparable. Um, but I think, you know, the way that the medical industry is set up in relation to birth is really sitting on this foundation of complete fear of death. Yeah. And be going far with this, but I think it's absolutely true that it's the medical model itself, which is the reason why infant mortality rates are so high, especially in the United States. Um, and there's many, many, many reasons for that. The, 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 the inventors of the inventions themselves are giving rise to the need for the interventions because the physiological conditions that are needed to keep the inherent built-in safety of birth, if there is one, it's inherent and it's built into it, then you must just do everything you can to protect the physiological conditions which are dark, quiet, unobserved. It's very simple. When you say unobserved, does that, what does that, does that mean there's no one in the room or the midwife can be in the room and the husband? Like who, who is it unobserved by in your perfect space? Right. Well, the, the woman ideally will choose whether she wants one there with her or not. Unobserved doesn't mean unsupported. It means that when someone enters your field, enters that field of birth, they're entering with an awareness that this woman is in a state of consciousness and everything is intense. And every energetic that enters that space is actually changing you know, yeah. geometry of the space, yeah, yeah. right? So there's this amazing midwife, uh, Robin Lim. She founded three, I think, birthing centers in Indonesia and won the CNN Hero of the Year Award in 2011. Cool. And she wrote a book called, what is it called? Uh, Placenta, the Forgotten Chakra. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. so, she tells a story of this, you know, 
And the original midwives really understand these things, really understand the energetics of birth. And um, modern midwives are really adhered to the modern obstetrical model. So actually midwife, we have to know that it doesn't even mean the same thing. We have few elder midwives or unlicensed midwives around. Um, and, you know, when the care provider as a license and is responsible for outcomes, that baseline, you know, fear it has, a, it has a higher impact and more influence on the way in which the midwife can show up and truly support that woman in her birth choices. Um, and this is unfortunate because what happens is women develop relationships with their midwife and they feel really good and really safe in having this relationship. And then the closer and closer that we get to what is called due dates, which might be one of the most insane inventions invented. Um, you know, I, I don't know a human that ever stayed in the womb forever. Um, <laughs> you know, this is really something to think about, hey? This is yeah. absolutely yeah. to think that we can choose when is a, is a baby to be born. Well, I, I think that's important to let's highlight that because there are medical interventions that are being used on a regular basis to facilitate that. Can you talk a little bit about them as, as well as I like to get into uh, vaginal birth versus C-section as well? Yeah. Yeah, so you want to talk, yeah, well, um, one of the ways that births are induced, and, you know, people also refer to natural when they want to avoid those medical um, inductions, which induction is induction, whether you're taking a herb to hopefully speed up the onset of labor, or you're uh, having your, um, the membrane, ruptured to break the waters. Um, this is, in my opinion, it's the same thing. And if you, it's, it is and it isn't, it, you know, each would have a different effect, but in, in the sense that we are all meant to be the initiators of our own lives on planet earth. And if we back and recount our own experience of getting born, which those memories are in ourselves and we can access those memories in different ways, we will see what, wow, just how important it was that we be the initiator of our life. And, and it's this that teaches us that life happens in perfect timing and that we can trust our instinct and that we can initiate and complete. And these, these things, these imprints, show up in every area of our personal and professional lives lifelong. And I think that prenatal and birth interventions and any interruption of these natural physiological emergences actually in a very minimum impact us lifelong. They affect mm -hmm. us times long because born inform the way we live and inevitably inform the way we die. So I, I, I was fortunate to study with Stan Groff many, 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 many years ago, and I love his BPM model, holotropic, holotropic model, but BPM, and how each of the different um, processes involved from 
conception to the three aspects of the birth will do what you suggest based on his own research too, LSD research and holotropic breathwork research affect one's psychophysiologically forever, unless you work through the problems that they've caused. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I think that's a really good point. We absolutely have the capacity to work things. It's never, ever too late to heal. Um, the vision of birth, which is one of the things that I'm incarnating in the world in my lifetime, is really all about just keeping the consciousness intact from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the going. But um, yeah, that's so good to point out as we talk about these things that it's never too late to heal. Um, so in induction is happening um, for a number of reasons. We come to a point of believing that somehow we have a due date. One of the reasons, one of the reasons why we have such high rates of infant mortality in particularly the U.S., is because of the high rates of premature births. And why are there such high rates of premature birth? One of those reasons is because of this thing called due dates. And one of the most common things that, one of the most common ways that a due date is is calculated is by looking at um, the first day of the woman's last bleed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now the, the menstrual cycle, she didn't conceive on that day. Her uterine lining is shedding. Probably she conceived if in, you know, relation to her ovulation when the egg was released from the ovary, it happened two and possibly three weeks after that. So due dates are often two to three weeks off and they're calculating that a baby is ready to be born at 37 weeks. Lots of babies stay in for 42, 43, 44 weeks. It happens. I know perfectly amazing adults who gestated in their mom's womb for 44 weeks. They're great people. Um, but. If you think about that, they are calculating that a baby is ready to be born at 37 weeks. That baby is probably 30, more like 34 weeks. This baby mm. is absolutely nowhere near ready to thrive on the outside world. So an induction could be the injection of Pitocin. Pitocin is a synthetic version of oxytocin. Oxytocin, when it's naturally produced from the pituitary, has deep and profound behavioral effects. This is the hormone that floods our bodies when we intimately share with one another. Lots of it is produced when we kiss, and tons of it is flooded in our systems when we orgasm. This is the hormone of love and connection and safety. Pitocin, when synthetic oxytocin does not have these effects at all, it's injected directly to the bloodstream, and all it does is creates the contraction of the uterus, contractions that are cerebrally called jackhammer contractions. They are way harder, faster, and stronger than a normal contraction, which or birth sensation. 
for better language. They're way harder, way faster, and way stronger. Most times, they're above and beyond what a human can handle. So what does that lead to? The need for pain medication and opiates. Yeah. Because it's too much, and the woman gets exhausted possibly take this the 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 in the induction is like raising the possibility of a cesarean section by like 40 percent or more so it's really uh it's really something to think about you know uh, it's interesting because they're basically creating the problems that they need to solve <laughs> like, yeah. that's it yeah and rise to the need for the interventions now another thing about is women spend their whole pregnancy being so careful about what they eat, not going out and doing drugs and drinking alcohol and all these things. But then somehow when it comes time to give birth, they have no problem filling their bodies with drugs that are extraordinarily harmful for anybody. But what is but something to note is that those drugs are administered according to the mother's body weight. And so the babies are being completely, and nobody's talking to the baby saying, hey, this, your body doesn't need this. You don't need to take this into your body. And I'm saying that because I have had experiences of witnessing births where the mother's going through the entire gamut of medical interventions and every step of the way we consciously communicate to the baby, informing them what's going on, why the decisions that are being made are being made, and they don't need to take those drugs into their body. And we've absolutely witnessed things that are not really seen, like babies that are really your mothers that have been um, completely under with general anesthetic and the baby being born completely wide awake and latching. Mm -hmm. um, so the communication piece is actually very, you find yourself in a situation where it is the best thing for you to take a drug. Remember that there's another human here and it's an intelligent human and and the biology is very, very intelligent. You can inform that child or that baby, like, look, things are going to begin to feel very different. You might not feel me, but I'm still here. Etc. You don't need body. I think these are obvious signs. Don't look at. Um, but yeah, you know, the induction leads to the need, often, most often, to. Um, the need for pain medication, the pain medication, then the baby is often drugged and just goes to sleep. And the mom goes to sleep too. So everything comes to a halt. And then they need to speed things up again, which is often they'll, they'll break the waters, they'll prematurely rupture the membranes, uh, the water bag, or they'll administer more pitocin. And now we're in the loop that you can't get out of because now the physiology has said, Oh, you're going to do it for me. I'm not going to do it at all. You know? And, and, and so it really is an exhausting, long, 
painful experience. And probably if women really knew that medically mediated births were longer, harder, and more painful, they would never ever opt for that situation. The reality is that the natural, the natural hormones that are um, associated with natural physiological birth are um, the strongest opiates available on this planet. <laughs> you know, that, that even stronger than heroin, even stronger than anything. Um, we tend to believe that labor is this, we've been taught that labor is a long, hard, painful experience. And this is why we are experiencing life as a long, hard, painful event. Um, the way we're born informs the way we live. And the way that we perceive birth is the way we perceive life. It's just the reality. Birth imprints our lives. Birth informs who we are and how we are in the world and how we relate to life. Is it happening to us or for us or with us? Yeah. So just to throw that in there. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting because I, for my clients, I do ask a lot of questions around the birth. And most have no no idea. And then they start engaging conversations with their mom, if their mom's still living, or their dad, if their dad's still living. And you can get some really good insights. But it's amazing. And I don't know if there's a one-on-one -on -one correlation or some universals there. But like you, you hear stories and you're like, oh, that makes sense why they have that personality type, why they do what they do. Because it shows up show, showed up during the whole conception birth process somewhere in there. <clears throat> and then it shows up when they're 5 or 15 or 20 or 35, you know, whatever. Uh, the, life conditions allow that way of being in the world to be re-triggered and that's their natural tendencies because that's what they've been trained to do in utero or as the birth process occurs so it's, it's fascinating um talk a little bit more about the c-section versus vaginal birth and what you might share as some of your concerns if it's not medically necessary what what the c-section causes and what vaginal birth allows for the differences between those two yeah. <clears throat> now show that um, less than one, I think it's like less than 0.5% of the cesareans that are happening in the United States are deemed medically necessary under any terms. So this is uh, something because the rate is over 60%. Some hospitals, the cesarean rate is almost 100%. Um, you'll never see a cesarean schedule today or a Sunday or any time after 5 p.m. So, you know, <laughs> there's actually convenience that is being taken into And that has also, you know, overflown to the psyches and the mentalities of women. Oh, well, if I just go in and have my baby on February 12th, then by February 28th, I will be ready to just get back to whatever it was or, you know, this convenience and this, this reinforcement of women fitting into this linear, you know, this is really important to consider because actually the way a woman births and then even more so the postpartum time is informing her physiological, mental, emotional, and spiritual health for the rest of her life. 
not just important for the baby, it's super important for the mama as well. So there's that. Um, our bodies as women are exquisite. Hey? Like we're designed to birth, pregnancy and birth is this moment in our lives where we have the possibility to reach the highest possible state of health and vitality ever. And during birth, really, we are at the most exquisite symphony and balance that you'll ever be at. That's what birth is designed. Um, when it is, is not meant to be a painful experience that then takes years and years and years to recover from. If the sharp metal objects and hands and poking and prodding and analyzing and checking and all the things that medical doctors are doing to women as they give birth, if that was out of the way, then likely women would give birth very beautifully and recover very beautifully um, with little, no um, long-term um, implications, um, physically or emotionally. You know? um, so when it comes to cesareans, there's multiple things that I would be concerned about. One is that birth is meant to be transcendent. This is, it's, it's, it's meant to transform us. And that transformation is happening because the most powerful life, a quantity, and quality of life energy is flowing through our systems. Mm. And that energy flows straight up and down. <clears throat> that energy flows straight up and down along the spinal column. So when that column, when that flow of energy is literally cut, and, and Practitioners like osteopaths, craniosacral therapists, and you know, there's masters out there who really understand this. So I would recommend talking to someone that what they're talking about. But it's worth considering what are the implications of cutting through the lifeline, literally. Um, this can affect a woman lifelong for her sexual health, her hormonal health, and her overall vitality. For the baby lifelong there's multiple concerns one is that they're missing out on the entire microbiome which is the immune system right? when they pass through the vaginal canal they're gathering all the bacteria from that canal and all of that bacteria is absolutely essential to cultivate the ecosystem of all the bacteria that are needed for them to thrive in this world where there's a need to have a very good, strong immune system. And they know this because now they're doing studies and they're pretty far along in these studies to look at the benefits of when babies are born Syrian section, they're, they're taking bacteria from the mom and they're getting it directly on the skin and even in the mouth of the baby and getting it on them. Yeah, so they know this. Uh, not just the bacteria and the living cultures from 
the birth canal. It's also the sweat and the hormone milk, all of that that happens. When the baby is born vaginally, they stay connected to the mother via the umbilical cord. When they come through the entire labor process, these surges, what we know as contractions, are squeezing the fluid out of the lungs, getting those lungs ready to breathe when they come on the outside world. And if they skip those steps, so if we, uh, if we have a scheduled cesarean where labor didn't even initiate and the baby never experienced any of those big squeezes, then they didn't get that. So then what happens mm. is not called an apgard test, which is the color, the, mm. everything that they're observing on the baby, you know, they're not thriving when they're born. And they're having difficulty to breathe because they were not ready to come out. They weren't prepared by the intelligence of come out. So then you introduce bulb syringes and then the baby from the mother and given oxygen and giving warmth and all these things. Um, the baby needs to be on the mother, not just because it needs to be on its heart, on the heart matrix, but also because all the smells and the tastes and all of it, it's informing this microbiota you know it's and and these aren't meant to be washed and wiped and all of these things of course we know that the skin on skin contact is mm -hmm. essential and the bonding which is just falling in love is it's essential and if a baby is drugged if a mother is drugged then moms and babies are drowsy and the eyes are closed. So this connect and this bonding, even if the baby is born vaginally, if they're drugged, the bonding is compromised. The connection is compromised. So if- yeah. Let me ask you a question. I, I, I've never seen research on this, but I have seen it discussed like empathy is decreasing over the last couple of decades. And I'm wondering like, wow, is there a correlation between what you're discussing and the decreasing amount of empathy of us human beings, especially in the West here in the States? Well, I didn't know that, but absolutely, absolutely. Because the entire, the entire birth process is facilitating and literally educating our body, mind, and spirit about connection. And the time after birth is where, you know, we learn that we are one with the mother and what she's feeling, I'm feeling. And, you know, this probably is also connected to the levels of prenatal care because maternal baby and maternal infant separation begins before birth. Because being outside the cell and she's not connected to the baby. So emotionally, she's sometimes not always not present. Um, and so the baby is having an experience and experiencing all the mother's thoughts and feelings and all of that. But if the baby, even whilst being in utero, isn't being mirrored, you know, about their experience, then it's like, yeah. oh it's very hard to distinguish what's mine and what's yours and be forced with this sense of innate connection. 
and so, the feeling that we have. Yeah. So um, some of the things I'm hearing you say is institutionally when we medicalize birth, you know, artificial lights, artificial um, um, sounds, uh, an environment, both those things, but also an environment not conducive to love making or birthing. <laughs> I love that the connection between the two. Uh, the woman is not given a consideration of who she wants necessarily in the room. I'm sure a little bit more than before, but not as much as I would imagine you'd like her to be, which requires what I'm hearing you say is like her to have a deep connection to herself and to the baby and to determine what's best for them internally and then express it externally and to get the support from your community to do so that during the birth process itself, that we have all the hormones we need. Uh, as Lao Tzu says, nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. You know, it's like do it on the human time in terms of the baby and the mother and not on the medical times in terms of what the doctor, the nurses and everyone else needs done. So like we don't, we have the, we have the hormones to accomplish the birth. We don't need to be on a human timeline. We need to be on the mother's and baby's timeline. Vaginal birth is better because the microbiome and the sweat and the connection and the turning on the neurology between the mother and the baby. Um, talk a little bit about breastfeeding as well as a continuation of all those processes, if you wouldn't mind, versus uh, you know eating uh, artificial foods for babies. Right. for babies. So um, one thing I want to just touch on when it comes to the, the vaginal birth as opposed to cesarean is for us to really understand that the birth informs the lifetime. And so um, there are many pre and perinatal experts that talk about birth sequencing, the way that we are coming through that birth canal and, and all of the instinct that we're drawing upon to go through this dark, deep, unknown space is actually informing the way we're going to navigate our lives. And so, um, you know, now I wonder, you know, how things are going to go in the world where we have maybe 50% of the populations of the generations that came after me being born cesarean, who were all, you know, are all still waiting to be rescued or to be, you know, not knowing how to get born. We're getting born all the time in our lives. So um, it's really essential that, that, that we be allowed to get born at the very beginning, if it's possible. And 99.5% of the time it is. Um, and so the breastfeeding, yeah, you know, I've mentioned before that in other cultures, you know, we probably are the only culture and certainly probably the only species that separate mothers and babies at birth. Um, and I would say, you know, if I would tell my teacher in the Amazon, which I have, you know, that we're doing this, we're separating mothers and babies at birth, they, they can't, they cannot understand this. And, and I would say, oh, yes, but you know, sometimes the baby is struggling, and they need to help the baby. To them, they're like, Oh my God. Well, especially if the baby's struggling, it should not be separated from the mother. So, you know, the mother, the baby being skin on skin with the mother, with their heart matrix is regulating the blood pressure, blood sugar, heart rate, the body temperature, the hormonal production and the thyroid regulation, everything. 
is being regulated when the baby is on the heart matrix and um, rebalancing and recalibration and the thriving is established much faster in that than under artificial heat lamps and things like okay and this is probably very controversial but i think it's true <laughs> um um, so yeah, so the breastfeeding, um, the breastfeeding, um, is very, very important and part of it has to do with nourishment, um, but only part of it. Yeah. And, and nourishment is more than just nutrients and weight gain and things like, that. um, there's so much more happening with the breastfeeding than nutrient intake. Um, however, those first couple of days after birth, um, the mother produces what is basically liquid gold. It's not milk, it's um, colostrum. And this is, you know, they say, like, don't throw it out, don't let it leak anywhere. Put, if the baby's not taking it, put it in a vial and save it. And if anyone's sick with anything, they take this. It's liquid gold. And this is hugely uh, beneficial for the baby's immune system lifelong. So those first couple of days, even before the milk comes in for the mother, that colostrum is really, really important. Um, the breastfeeding for both the mother and the baby is this deep bonding experience. So the baby and the mother are connecting. Anything that came up in the birth they're integrating and they're able to process. Prolactin, the mothering hormone, which the dad also produces if he's present for the pregnancy and labor and birth, and that's a whole conversation on its own, um, is produced, oxytocin is produced in the mother and the baby. You can see babies after they have been nursing for a while, their cheeks are puffy and they are on cloud nine. They're full of oxytocin they feel absolutely calm and 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 settled and safe and connected and happy so these hormones are flooding the system of the mother and the baby it's through the breastfeeding that that baby is learning that they are safe that they are supported that they are protected um, and all these neurochemical signals are sending that information. The heart, the feeling of the heart is also doing that. And the mother's milk is changing, not just daily and not just weekly and daily, hourly, and even momentarily with the needs of the baby. And in the first few months, especially the baby's going through very sensitive periods of their development. So it's pretty miraculous. The mother is producing precisely the nutrient and elixir and antibodies and everything that that unique being needs at that mm -hmm. given moment. If she would be another woman's baby, her body would produce a whole other elixir mm -hmm. for that baby. So it's just, you know, the intelligence is beyond actually what we can even conceive, which is why it's absolutely, I think, really almost impressive 
that we have come to a place where we think somehow we can perfect upon nature. Yeah, because a couple of things that strike me listening to talk is like it, the innate intelligence of the system is amazing. And like you just says, like, and we think we can do better, but we don't even know the full fullness of that intelligence to even try to match it because even the artificial formulas do not have everything that an actual baby needs, like you just said, that changes hour to hour, day to day, to week to week. One Let alone things- everything else that's not included because we just don't know enough to include, not that we should, but it's like, yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. We should really have a conversation right about the potential of allowing the natural hormonal blueprint to remain intact because it really is all about birthing a family, birthing lifelong love, birthing resilience. And yeah. it, it, you know, the real potential, what we're interfering upon, if we what we were interfering upon, we would never consider to touch it. And that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that's been so detrimental is this teaching of uh, if training, scheduling, the eating and the sleeping. Um, one of the reasons why formula fed don't have to eat as much. I mean, breastfed babies, they can eat 50, 100 times a day because it's more than just nutrient that they're taking in. It's the whole experience formula. Uh, their babies' digestive systems are not equipped to break down and process um, the ingredients that are in formula. And so it literally takes six to eight hours before they can possibly take in anything else. And this fits a lifestyle of convenience. I only have to feed my baby three times a day instead of three times a day. You know, Um, so there's that, but obviously the impacts on the immune system, on the neurological system, on everything are really, really big. We really made a mistake with, with this whole uh, thing around um, attachment, you know, confident and independent. We, We were taught that, you know, if you sleep with your baby for all the years that your baby wants to sleep with you, and if you feed your baby on demand and you let the baby guide and lead everything, then you're going to cultivate this codependent human. When in actuality, you're going to cultivate a human who is independent and self-driven and not insecure, but secure. I think a lot of the core misunderstandings and in, in complex relationships to sex and power and these um, fear of intimacy and avoidance tendencies and all these things, they're birthed in the early primal period. Yeah. This is going whether or not our needs were met. Yeah. Um, one of the easy ways to describe birth is by saying that it is a very sexual experience. And breastfeeding is also a very sexual experience. But for that prenate or that newborn, it's something way more than a sexual experience. It's, a, it's not sexual in the way that we understand sexuality. It's, it's who I am as a being. It's the energy that brought me in. It's, it's the entire life energy that's informing that system about 
whether or not it's safe and loved and protected and supported. And, and everything that got us really confused along the way is now what we're sorting out as adults. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think you made the point earlier, it was like your goal with your work is to preempt all those future problems by working with a mother and a father on preconception and conception birth, you know, following nature's blueprint, as you suggested, which reduces towards zero. I mean, I, there still could be problems along the way, but reduces towards zero the likelihood of, of various interpersonal intrapsychic problems that result from artificial approaches to birth, conception, birth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, for your work, like people are listening to this or watching this going, oh, wow. Okay, I want to learn more. Uh, how can I learn more about your work? You can find me at www.luminousbirth.earth or find me on Instagram at luminousbirth. Well, Victoria, this has been wonderful. Always enjoy our conversations. It's great to see you again. And uh, I look forward to more conversations with you in the near future. I look forward. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. There's nothing in between you and me. Nothing in between blue and sea. Nothing in between us and love Nothing in between wings and doves Nowhere to hide in the open reality Love is so wide, there isn't a boundary You